Good morning, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert program, The Essential Guide to ClinCheck Treatment, Planning, and Communication with Dr. Ben Moralia. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Ben Moralia. Dr. Ben Moralia has been treating Invisalign patients since 2004 at his practice in Mount Kisco, New York. He continues to share his Invisalign expertise by conducting study clubs in the tri-state area and has been a speaker multiple times at Invisalign's GP Summit in Las Vegas. Dr. Morali is a graduate of the State University at Buffalo School of Dental Medicine, a member of the ADA, the AGD, the New York State AGD, and the Ninth District Dental Society. So without further ado, I will turn over the program to Dr. Morali. Dr. Morali, you now have the floor. Thank you very much, David. Uh, good afternoon. Good morning to everyone. So I know we've got a full house. We have a packed presentation. I'm going to basically move right into it and we'll uh, cover everything I have, and then we'll go through the questions, uh, as David mentioned before. So uh, we're starting right off with uh, making an accurate diagnosis. Obviously, we're, we're going to spend quite a bit of time studying and looking at ClinCheck's and uh, making changes and going back and forth with the technicians to produce the ClinCheck we would like for our patient. But prior to that step, there are a few things that have to be put in place. It really is a big puzzle. It doesn't just happen where the ClinCheck pops open and it's perfect and you go right ahead and give the patient the aligners. You really have to put a few things in place to make that ClinCheck perfect for your patient. And so it really starts out with your diagnosis. After your diagnosis, you've got to translate that into a treatment form. The treatment form will you know, give the technician an opportunity to make a ClinCheck. You have to review your ClinCheck. Um, one of the things I always like to look at or pretend that my ClinCheck is a rough draft, uh, I never look at the ClinCheck that comes back as really a final piece of work. You know, that's, it's time for me to do editing. I like to study that ClinCheck and call it my rough draft so that then I can tweak it and then um, basically produce the ClinCheck I'm looking for in maybe one or two more uh, changes that might need to be made. So treat your ClinCheck as a rough draft. You'll be better off. Don't expect it to be perfect on the first round. And after that, obviously, you get aligners back, and then you have fun treating the case. But let's get just a little background on the diagnosis and getting through to making the ClinCheck, and then we'll study a bunch of them. I always focus on a handful of things. I'm going to give you my list. It's definitely not a definitive list. It's not, you know, every little item, and certainly there are other people who can teach you more about diagnosis as well, but the things I'm looking for begin with proper arch form and proper arch width, and anyone who's ever seen me speak before knows that I'm a very big fan of expansion and developing proper arch form and proper arch width, and I feel like my entire case really unfolds from there. As soon as I identify... Uh, the patient's issues, and then translate it into a proper arch form and a proper arch width, all of the other pieces tend to fall into place for me. So I, I keep those as my number one and two items as far as making my diagnosis. Uh, as far as proper arch width goes, I'll give you the quick you know, definition of the transverse measurement in here so you can gauge your patients by what I mean by that. Transverse measurement for me is an important measurement and, and very diagnostic in determining, you know, what kind of arch width do I have? Is the patient narrow, wide, medium? We're going to go through all that. Buccolingual inclination. Okay, fancy words, big fancy words, but we'll teach you what that is today. It's a tiny bit of ortho 101, but it really helps when you're studying the ClinCheck to make sure that you've put the posterior teeth where they belong, and that can help on a number of levels. So we're going to just define that and give you some more tips as far as studying the ClinCheck and what that means when we get to it. Obviously, I'll look at the overbite, and the overjet, the canine and molar position, and that's going to give me a, a very good list of what I'm looking for when I'm making my patient diagnosis. Now, as far as improper arch form goes, you most, most of you by now know what a V-shaped arch looks like, an omega-shaped arch, any type of square or box-shaped arch. When the patients walk in and do not have a perfect, beautiful dome as their arch form, then they have improper arch form, and it'll, it could be a combination of any of those. But basically, those are all bad arch forms. And when you have bad arch form, you're really looking to utilize the Invisalign aligners to create proper arch form. And the aligners are more than capable of changing a V-shaped arch into a beautiful dome-shaped arch. They can take an omega-shaped arch into a beautiful dome. The square or box-shaped arch can go right into a beautiful dome. Invisalign is very capable at producing proper arch form. That's a nice photograph of a V-shaped arch. And you, you see those all day long in the hygiene chair. So every day when you're seeing that V-shaped arch, think Invisalign. That's a nice candidate for Invisalign right there. Here's your classic omega-shaped arch. Okay, the classic omega-shaped arch 
has 2 and 15, a little bit flared to the buckle, then 3, 4, and 5 dip in, as well as 12, 13, and 14. The canine 6 and 11 are prominent. And then you have some significant crowding of the anterior teeth, and that's an excellent Invisalign case for you. So when you see that omega-shaped patient walk in, you should be educating that patient about the opportunity they have before them to get involved with Invisalign to correct their, obviously, arch form and subsequent malocclusion that comes from having that. There's also the square or box-shaped arch. You know, this is like a combination here. It has the V from the posterior to the anterior, but then it has a straight-across box at the front. So you've got a combination of the V and that square shape in this arch. And again, you know, that's a very nice candidate for Invisalign when you see that type of improper arch form. It could only have a poor occlusion. There's no way an arch form that looks like that has a proper and stable and healthy functioning occlusion. So to create a beautiful arch form out of that could only enhance the patient's occlusion and give them a beautiful, healthy, stable uh, occlusion, which eventually leads to excellent periodontal uh, future for that patient. So what does proper arch form look like? It looks like this. If you're looking into the mouth and you see that beautiful type of dome from one side to the other, then you're looking at proper arch form. If you can trace from tooth number two all the way around through the incisors and back to tooth number 15, and you've made a beautiful dome, then you have proper arch form, okay? And the same thing on the lower. Obviously, this is the upper lower of a patient uh, that was treated. It didn't start out this way, but this is the finish. Later, we'll look at that case. Now, this is beautiful arch form, and that's proper arch form, and regardless of where the patient started, that's what we're looking for in the end result. Now, proper arch width, that's a little bit different, and we, we want to quantify it a little bit to give you an idea. You know, it's, it's reasonable to divide your patients into uh, average width, wide arch form, and narrow arch form, and that gives you three categories, and you would probably get most of them right if you were just assigning them into one of those three. But at least here's a measurement, so to speak, so you could quantify, you know, where is the arch width for my particular patient that's in front of me in the chair? And that, that statement at the top, uncrowded adults have a 35 to 39 millimeter transverse measurement. That comes from uh, university research. University of Michigan, uh, Dr. James McNamara, an orthodontist, has about five decades of research through the University of Michigan. And, and part of what he discovered was that people who develop normally and have full and proper arch form and width and normal overbite and normal overjet and good canine position and good molar position and really don't require orthodontics at all, tend to have an, a transverse measurement of 35 to 39 millimeters. And, and the range is uh, gender dependent. You know, male is a little higher on that scale than female. And um, it's also tooth size dependent. So the patient that has a wider uh, tooth width above average tooth width would obviously occupy more room in the arch and produce a, a wider arch measurement. So you might be more towards that higher number there, the 39, whereas if you have narrow teeth, narrow teeth or you know, less than average width in your teeth is going to give you more of that 33 to 35 type of a, a finding. But the transverse measurement, it's the shortest distance between teeth 3 and 14, and it's measured at the gum line. And this next photograph will give you an idea of what that looks like. And that, that is how I measure it for my patients. I take my Boldy gauge out. First, I dust it off. And then I go ahead and I place it right through to the first molars. I separate the two prongs until they can touch the teeth right at the gum line. And then I withdraw it, and I can read the measurement. On the screen, you can see that the Typodont measures 33. So we have a 33-millimeter measurement. Here's the 33. Obviously, I have this upside down for you. Uh, so 33 millimeters is the transverse measurement, the distance between our typodont's two teeth. Now, the reason I'm showing you on the typodont is that with every Invisalign patient I treat, I always measure that. I just want to see where they are. Now, if someone falls around 35, I know I've got a reasonable width. But as soon as they're less than 35, whether they're 34, 3, 2, 1, or 30, or 29, or 28, you know, the, the more they're away from that number 35, the narrower that arch will be, the more it might be shaped like an omega or a V. And then I might find the lower to match, because if the upper is pretty narrow, the lower is going to match. If the lower doesn't match, if the upper is narrow and the lower has got good width, you know what that translates into, a crossbite. So if the lower arch is going to maintain its width, but the upper arch is going to have a very narrow uh, position, then you're going to start recognizing a unilateral crossbite or maybe a bilateral crossbite in there. So I'm looking to see where my patient lands. It helps me on a number of levels. The first thing it helps me do is establish 
How much expansion am I looking to do for my patient? And then another thing it helps me establish is how far away from normal or average might I be? And so as a GP doing Invisalign, and for about six years now, part of it comes from experience of treating patient after patient after patient in different categories of periodontal status and different categories of age. And to give you generalizations, you know, a healthy, stable, young adult is going to be more likely to achieve a full width because you're not dealing with already a deterioration phase of periodontal disease or tooth mobility that would prohibit you from going to a nice, beautiful width. So, you know, the younger and healthier the mouth, the better it is to treat it. Now, if I have someone who's young and they might measure around 30, I might be looking for five or six millimeters of first molar expansion, move those teeth out into position when they're young and healthy and you've got all that gum and bone there and they haven't suffered recession and mobility and bone loss or periodontal disease on some level, then the body's ready to accept those types of movements. When the patient gets to be a little bit older, maybe the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and there's a lot of those patients looking for Invisalign and we're treating them, but the idea there is at that older age, they may not have 100% of the gum and the bone that they used to have when they were 21. So the older the patient gets, the less likely I'm going to be looking to challenge the full width development. In other words, the patient at that 60, 65-year-old range who measures about a 30 or 32 millimeter transverse measurement, I may not be looking for four or five more millimeters of width. I may be looking to introduce some IPR for that patient to keep me from developing the full width because maybe they're 80, 85% in their periodontal status, so to speak. So if the foundation is a little bit less because of an advanced age, I may sprinkle in the IPR to offset the amount of expansion I would need to bring them to perfect. So the younger the adult, the more likely we're going to go for their full and appropriate width. Now, moving on to buccolingual inclination. Um, I trip over this word every time I say it, but uh, I will still repeat it over and over and over for you. So buccolingual inclination, and this is how it's assessed. This little paragraph right here describes what it means to have proper buccolingual inclination. The buccolingual inclination of the maxillary and mandibular posterior teeth is assessed by using a flat surface that is extended between the occlusal surfaces of the right and left posterior teeth. There should not be a significant difference between the heights of the buccal and lingual cusps of the maxillary and mandibular premolars and molars with all cusps within one millimeter of the straight edge. So that's a mouthful, but let's look at a photograph and then we'll discuss the significance of this. The photograph just basically puts into a picture what I just read. If we lay a flat surface across the first molars and look at it from the anterior view, we're looking to see that all of the cusps fall within one millimeter of that straight edge, so to speak. And that's actually the ruler section of the Bowley gauge. So when you lay the ruler, so to speak, across the first molars, you're looking for the first molars to touch that ruler, but all of the cusps. Now you could imagine, if the lower first molars are leaning in very far, as they lean more to the lingual, the lingual cusps are going to fall away from that ruler and the buccal cusps will touch the ruler. So the further the teeth lean lingually, the more poor is your buccolingual inclination. And as the teeth are upright, so to speak, or standing tall, your lingual cusps come up to that ruler and then you have established proper buccolingual inclination. So now if you start to relate upper and lower teeth to this, well, if the top is narrow, whether it's a V-shaped arch or an omega-shaped arch or if the teeth have poor buccolingual inclination, they're leaning in towards the tongue. If we take the upper teeth and we expand them, make them wider and tip them out, the lower teeth need to follow and they need to upright. And as they upright, you're bringing those lingual cusps up, so to speak, to touch that ruler. And that establishes proper buccolingual inclination. So now, putting it on the second molar gives you an ability here to see as the second molar is positioned in this typodont's mouth, we can turn it around to look at the back and find that all of the cusps either touch or come within about the millimeter of our ruler or straight edge. So our typodont is set up pretty nicely as far as its width. We have about 33 millimeters, not bad. And also we have a buccolingual inclination that keeps those cusps, especially the lingual cusps, within one millimeter of that straight edge. Now the significance of having your lower posterior teeth upright, and in other words, having proper buccolingual inclination, 
is the difference between having lateral or so-called horizontal forces versus axial or vertical forces from your occlusion. Obviously, we're well aware that lateral or horizontal forces on the teeth are improper and we consider that to be occlusal trauma. It leads to a deterioration on so many levels. You get enamel, chips and fractures. You get abfractions, recession, tooth mobility, periodontal disease, pocketing. There's a whole long list of things that come from having lateral or horizontal forces on teeth. And we label that under the heading occlusal trauma. And now when we look at axial or vertical occlusal forces, those are appropriate because as the teeth are upright, meaning proper buccolingual inclination, then as we close and apply pressure to the teeth, the force is directed right down the long axis of the tooth and into the bone, which is meant to be supporting the teeth. So the axial or vertical forces don't come really out of thin air. They come from having the teeth properly set up in the occlusion where buccolingual inclination is considered. So we'll pay close attention to that because we don't want our teeth leaning in in the posterior and then unravel the front teeth because we get straight front teeth with posterior teeth that are leaning in. We haven't done a great service there. What that translates into, well, the patient might look nicer, but we haven't improved their occlusion and hence we haven't improved their periodontal status. So the goal really when you're setting up your ClinCheck is to make sure you're establishing all of the criteria that go into having a very healthy, stable occlusion and mouth for the patient, not just having the cosmetic or aesthetic approach and appeal for a new smile. Now, once you get to the treatment form, that's where you're relaying this information to the technician. By filling in the treatment form appropriately, then you get a ClinCheck that's going to resemble what you have in mind. If you just haphazardly checking off boxes, the ClinCheck may not be representative of what you thought you would see. So the treatment form is important, and by looking at those items we talked about, we are, it enables us to get our treatment form checked off right, the boxes that really detail expand, procline, and IPR, and that's the key to that treatment form. Now, one bit of information I'll pass on to you for special instructions. Doctors always ask me, what do I write there, what do I write there, what do I write there? Well, over the years, I have come to uh, include one standard sentence that I put as my first or introductory sentence into the special instructions, and it has to do with level, align, and derotate. Those are three very big and powerful words in the world of orthodontics and also Invisalign. And what we're doing there is, with every case I submit, I will write, please level, align, and derotate all teeth. And what that tells the technician right off the bat is that the treating doctor is looking to move all of the teeth where they belong and establish as healthy and stable an occlusion as possible, not just set the front teeth up for a beautiful smile. And so I write that pretty much on every case. I haven't really come across a case where it's inappropriate to write, please level, align, and derotate all teeth. And it sets the technician's mindset away from an anterior aesthetic setup into automatically, oh, a full mouth setup. We're going to move wider. We're going to upright posterior teeth. We're going to get this occlusion lined up beautifully, set up vertical forces on those back teeth, get all of our cusps and grooves, eliminate all the interferences from the inclines. All of those things come from that one little sentence. So I'm a big fan of that sentence. It really is a sentence almost anyone could write for any case that was being submitted, and that starts the ball rolling. And then you put the specifics of your case after that. Now, ClinCheck review. There certainly is a checklist. You know, there's always a checklist. You know, what, what are you looking to do when you open it? The very first thing I'll do is just check that it's occluded properly. It certainly is a rarity. I'm a little bit over 300 cases now, and I think I've had one or maybe two where it just wasn't mounted properly. It's such an infrequent event, but it's good to pay attention to it. How does that occur when your photographs are poor? If you're submitting photos that are not crisp and clear into the buckle views of the mouth, sometimes then the, the occluded ClinCheck could be a touch off. So the first thing you should do is take a look at that ClinCheck, make sure it matches your photograph that your occlusion is set. Then you can move on to the fun stuff. Obviously, I'm going to look for proper arch form. I want to see all 14 upper teeth and all 14 lower teeth move into a proper arch form. I'll certainly look for the arch width to see where my width started and where it ended to make sure I've got a reasonable arch width. I'm going to look at the transverse measurement. The beauty of having the grid in the ClinCheck, and we'll put it up there a couple of times uh, today, is that you can actually put the grid on the screen and measure between 3 and 14 and see where you started, where you finished, are you in a range that's considered acceptable width. 
buccolingual inclination. I'll always look at the posterior teeth to see that they're upright. I absolutely, at a bare minimum, want to see all the posterior teeth upright. Overjet. It's a good idea to peek at the overjet, make sure it's reasonable. You know, a, a good overjet is somewhere right around 1.5 to 2 millimeters is fine. Two or over is a little bit much, but having a 1.5 to 2 millimeter overjet is reasonable. Overbite could be considered the same. If you're 1.5 to 2 millimeters of overbite at the end of your case, you're in great shape. So regardless of the overbite you're submitting, look to achieve a 1.5 to 2 millimeter overbite at the end of the case would be very nice. Check your canine and molar position. Obviously, if you're starting with some sort of malocclusion, as you're moving all the teeth, you'd like to finish with a very nice molar in class one position and canine in class one position. Uh, we're, for today's exercises, we're really not covering class two and three treatment, so we're just it, that should be an easy one on the checklist because you're really dealing with class one malocclusions to start. I always look for level align and derotate. Uh, it's amazing how much room you get from derotating, especially the premolars. Take a look at your upper premolars and look at how that's an oval shape. If you take those upper premolars and you derotate them into perfect position, you usually get a lot of room. You can eliminate a lot of IPR by making sure you're derotating all the premolars into their correct position. So there's an advantage to derotating all the teeth. It usually translates into much less IPR. And that's the last thing I always peek at. On the ClinCheck, I would like to see what is my IPR commitment for this case at this point in time, and do I want to alter it? And much of this afternoon we're going to spend time talking about, you know, what can we do with the IPR to make it easier, better, or non-existent in the case? Because if there's one thing you could do to take an Invisalign case from being just okay to being spectacular is get rid of the IPR. If you could lose the IPR, Invisalign becomes really just a walk in the park heaven. So my IPR preferences, I'll give you just a, a three little bullet points about my IPR. My biggest preference would be to have none, absolutely none. So with every case I'm looking at, obviously I'm studying to figure out, can I treat that patient without any IPR? That's goal number one. Well, if I can't achieve it, then I have to have a little IPR maybe. I'm going to look to keep it in the posterior. I'm a much bigger fan of posterior IPR than anterior IPR. So I love my IPR to be behind the canine. I will go behind the canines, then in between the premolars, and then premolar to molar. Those are three incredible sites on each side and it's always my preference to drop my IPR right there. We'll detail later how that happens and also what it does to the case as far as treatment and time and aligner count. Now, I do like my IPR within the first five aligners. Typically, if the case is moderate to severe crowding, it's going to be from canine to canine or premolar to premolar. So those sites are almost always readily available for IPR. If you're doing IPR from canine to canine, well, you have to wait for it to unravel. So if you push the teeth away from each other to do your anterior IPR to bring them back, it sets up a time frame of treatment that will be longer than if your IPR is done earlier in the case in places where the teeth are not overlapped or crowded. So I love to put my IPR within the first five aligners. It takes a tremendous amount of aligners out of the count of treatment, and we're going to look at the difference in a little bit. The ClinCheck views. Certainly when I get to the ClinCheck, the speed icons right on the top bar are the most popular five, and those are the ones I focus on. It's only rarely that I'll go to the full view uh, task bar and open up all of them and look at them. That would have to be really a crazy case. But if, uh, you know, the average Invisalign patient, I just need those five views, the maxillary arch, the mandibular arch. I'll look at the anterior view to tip it up to check the overjet overbite and the right and left buckle, obviously, I'm looking at those, make sure the occlusion is right at the beginning for the mounting and at the ending for the healthy, stable class one we're looking for. So I do focus right away on the five icons that are on the bar in the ClinCheck. In the different views, well, the maxillary view, when we're studying the maxillary ClinCheck view, absolutely number one and two again. I'm looking for arch form and arch width. In the arch width, we're definitely focusing on the transverse measurement. You know, what kind of distance do we have between those first molars? Alignment and rotations are also visible from the maxillary view. You want to make sure the teeth are aligned. Aligned means you have proper arch form. If you align all of those teeth from one side to the other, you'll end up with proper arch form. If you derotate all the teeth, then you end up with the most amount of, uh, you have the best opportunity to eliminate a lot of IPR if you're going to derotate all the teeth. So the, the mandibular view is the same, except that their transverse measurement is specific for the maxillary teeth, 
For the mandibular arch width, it's more about uprighting. Okay, those lower posterior teeth should be standing tall for your perfect occlusion. As far as the anterior view goes, we are looking to see level. Are the teeth all level, one side to the other? Have we established proper buccal lingual inclination, meaning from the anterior view, when you look behind the canine, are the premolars leaning in, pointing at the tongue, or are the premolars dropping straight down for the uppers and then the lower ones straight down, kind of like perpendicular to the floor? And that would be an establishing the proper buccal lingual inclination to see that. Overbite and overjet. Certainly from the anterior view, you can see your before and after overbite and overjet and determine if they're appropriate for your patient or if you need to make a little adjustment there. The right and left buckles, obviously you're looking for your incisor inclination. Are the maxillary incisors flared? Are they perfectly vertical? Are they reclined? You know, where are they? And in a perfect world, your upper incisors would have a slight inclination. So a little bit of a lean forward is appropriate. Straight down is a little bit too far back, and obviously if they're flared or, you know, protrusive, you're going to know that, you'll bring them back. If they're leaning lingual, maybe like the class 2, division 2, you'll bring them forward. So incisor inclination is something to pay attention to in the buccal views. The canine positions. Does the upper canine land right where it's supposed to? Does it lock with the lower canine and the lower first premolar for your class 1 occlusion? The molar position. Does the upper molar buccal cusp land right in that groove on that lower first molar? Do you have your molar position locked in? The overbite and overjet can also be assessed from the buccal views. So as we get to a patient and work up a ClinCheck, we'll start to see what we're developing here. So it's an interesting case because we have uh, 28 teeth here that are not in position, and it's a young gentleman, and what he has is a malocclusion that's causing him some trouble at an early age. Even from the anterior photograph, you could see a little bit of the problem that's going on with his class 1 malocclusion. He has wear and tear of the incisal edges already on his canines and lateral incisors. He has the lower canine, number 22, tipped and torqued and leaning where the root position is way to the mesial of where it should be. And that tooth has a position that doesn't allow it to lock into a beautiful class 1 canine protected occlusion on his left side. The right side is not as severe. We would call this mild for number 27, but a severe displaced number 22, and that's preventing him from having a beautifully protected canine occlusion. So as we take a look at this, we can see what I mean by buccolingual inclination from this view. The premolars are leaning in towards the tongue. They're hidden behind the canine. So the canine has a proper inclination, but then the premolars and molar are leaning in a little bit on both sides. And so when these teeth lean in, we end up having interferences instead of a normal, healthy, stable occlusion. And those interferences produce the lateral or horizontal forces, which end up causing deterioration on some level. So as we take a look into the upper arch, we can start to see our arch form is improper. When we start looking at the second molar and we start to try to trace around, well, we can recognize what this is. It's a very mild omega shape. And that very mild omega shape is set up so that 2 and 15 are flared buccally, 3, 4, and 5 dip in, the canine is pronounced, and then again on the other side, the canine is pronounced, but then 13 and 14, 12, 13, and 14 dip or lean in lingually until we get back out to 15. So here we have a mild omega-shaped arch. We're going to look to produce a proper arch form there. The lower shows us a little bit more about what's going on here when we can see in the posterior how the teeth are not derotated perfectly. They're all turned a little bit, and it's an awkward position for those teeth. We want to derotate all those teeth. We're also taking a look now and seeing the difference between a, a mild to moderate position of the lower canine versus a severe position of the lower canine. So tooth number 22, we know the root is mesial to where it belongs, but it's also rotated so that the incisal angle is this way, practically straight across the arch, as opposed to in line with the premolar. The canine should have a position that follows the premolars and then turns to come around to the other side. So we've got a severely rotated and also root-displaced canine. We expect that tooth to need an auxiliary. It will have a heavy attachment. This is a case treated prior to the optimized attachments. So I'm hopeful that a tooth like that would be handled a little more securely with the newer attachments, and I have seen that 
but this is a tooth that had the standard rectangle attachment at the time it was treated, and we did use an auxiliary to finish the position to make sure we had our locked-in class one occlusion. So we're going to go over that now. The class one malocclusion that exists shows all of the wear and tear that's associated with it. And here is the wear and tear on that canine and lateral. And so by the patient not having a, a well-positioned canine into class one protected occlusion, he's showing the signs of change at an early age. And the opposite side also. Same thing over here where the canine is so rotated and torqued out of position, it doesn't connect with the upper canine. So we do not get the full cusp protection of that canine in a class one protected occlusion. So when we open the ClinCheck, having looked at all those things in the photographs, we expect to see those things translated into the virtual world. So we would like to see development of arch width, development of proper arch form. Obviously, the tipping and torquing of the canines to get them into a position where we can get our canine guidance back. So I like to go right down the line. I usually start right away with the upper. And I will press play and see if I've gotten a little bit of expansion and proper arch form by the end of that set of aligners. And so what happens with the upper is the before and the after show me the difference. And I'm a big fan of toggling from the before to after. I will take the before to the after just to see if I've gone from an improper arch form to a proper arch form. And so as we go from the before to the after, we start to see that that little bit of expansion or uprighting of those premolars produces a perfect arch form from one side to the other. If that's happening on the upper, the lower should be following it. So when we press play on the lower, we should see derotations occur. We should see the premolars and molars uprighting. And we should see, obviously, those canines getting, so to speak, torqued into position. So we're going to press play one more time and watch those teeth walk to position in about 15 aligners. So now, we get that anterior view up here to take a look at what's happening when we press play to see if when we are derotating and torquing those canine roots into position, do we get our canine protected occlusion back? Because when we look at our buccal views, it looks just like the photograph, a gap right here. It's a perfect mounting of the case. When we press play and we start to drag that canine back where it belongs, we're expecting to see that occlusion improve. And so on both sides, we're going to watch that play to see that we get our canine in a better position to protect that occlusion. So as we go to the lower, we're going to tip this up just to take a picture of this canine here. The ClinCheck will give us a really good idea of how much movement that root is going to need. And it is a case where when we see a tooth like that, with the root that far mesial and that much movement, I could almost predict I'm going to use the button and elastic, the auxiliary technique, to finish that job, especially if it will help me to get my canine protected occlusion back. So I'm a big fan of putting that together, one to the next. So now, if we deliver those aligners to the patient, we're expecting to see something good happen. And if we get to that 15th aligner and we still haven't had that canine root all the way into position, we're seven months into the case. At the 15th aligner, you could take new impressions and go into refinement and get another batch and keep working that canine root over, but it's very time-consuming. And at a point in time when this was treated with the standard rectangular attachments, I felt it was much better to move into the buttons and elastics. And as a finishing technique, it's very helpful, especially for a canine. So you'll see here, the aligner is installed with a cutout or notch. The button is placed in the gingival third. A groove is cut three teeth away from the button. We're separating three teeth. We're putting the groove right here between the two molars. It rides about three millimeters up into the aligner. And you'll notice it's doubled up elastics. Those are two elastics. And the two elastics are one-eighth of an inch medium. And when they're doubled up, obviously, you're going to have nine or ten ounces of pressure on that canine root. The aligner will be guiding it from above. And as the weeks pass, it'll take 12 weeks to position that canine. Now, 12 weeks is an amount of time that would be four weeks of travel time just to get refinement aligners back. And in eight weeks, we know we can do four aligners. Now, I know in four aligners, I wouldn't have conquered the root movement of that tooth. 
So for me, the 12 weeks was an incredible bargain compared to doing refinement to try to position that route or just quitting the case at that point. So if we look at eight weeks of progress, we can see the difference. Obviously, the eight weeks of progress are bringing that root underneath the tooth. And then when we go to 12 weeks of progress, we have that tooth perfectly vertical. And with 12 weeks of the elastics and positioning that tooth perfectly vertical, it, the end result brings us to this, where we have, with aligners alone on top, established proper arch form. And you can see now the difference between the premolars leaning in and being in a proper position. Every single one of the 14 teeth is in the right spot in the upper. That allows the lower to follow it. And the difference here, it's not so much that the lower anterior teeth are not crowded anymore. The biggest difference here is that the lower posterior teeth are derotated and upright. And there's a big difference from one photo to the next where these lower posterior teeth are leaning in towards the tongue and you can see the entire buccal surface. Yet when you look at this photograph, the teeth are upright perfectly and all you see is the occlusal view of those posterior teeth. So now we have our arch form, our arch width, and our buccolingual inclination. We expect to have a much better occlusion. And here we now have a view of the locked-in right side class 1 canine protected occlusion. And the left side falls right into place too. So there's a very big change from this picture here where the canine is not in occlusion to this picture here where the canine is now in a perfect place to produce that class 1 canine protected occlusion on both sides. And in the end result, the anterior photograph shows really a perfect orthodontic finish delivered by Invisalign with some buttons and elastics. 15 aligners, 12 weeks of buttons and elastics afterwards, and we're, we've taken a mouth that has this class 1 malocclusion with deterioration already into a position where we have a perfect overbite, overjet, canine-protected occlusion, healthy, proper, buccolingual inclination. When you're looking at those posterior teeth and they're completely upright, what that translates into is having a very healthy, stable posterior occlusion so that the patient no longer has interferences, no longer has horizontal or lateral forces, only vertical forces on those teeth. In the end, it does translate into a fuller smile, so having those teeth brought out into position and upright gives that patient a full and happy smile, which is a change from that canine to canine, so to speak, six front tooth smile that he once had. So the, the development of that clinjec, the delivery of the auxiliaries, getting those teeth into their proper place, and moving all 28 teeth establishes a beautiful, healthy occlusion for that patient. Now, for Olivia, it's a little bit different story. We're going to utilize that ClinCheck a little bit differently here because we might have different options for her treatment. And so to get some photos on the screen, let's take a look at the anterior view here. Where we can recognize right away, we have a deeper bite. We have a canine that is not in a protected class 1 position. Okay, the lower canine is lingually positioned. There's a gap over here. We're not quite sure if the right side is locked in yet. We can recognize the deep bite and three incisors, and there's a chunk of gum tissue over here, so we're missing that fourth incisor somewhere. So we definitely characterize that as a class one malocclusion. The upper arch, it does not have proper arch form. It does not have a lot of crowding, but it needs a little bit of work to get that arch into a perfect form. The lower arch is going to have the significant problem in this case. But the occlusion is starting off as a class one malocclusion on both sides. Here we can start to recognize a little bit about how that canine is positioned lingually to the premolar and how their heights might be different. So we may have an elevation or a two-plane occlusion going on under here. And so again, a class one malocclusion. But the real problem is the displacement of tooth number 23. And so whenever we see a case like this where there's very mild to no crowding in the upper arch, just a poor arch form, but a very severe amount of crowding in the lower arch, well, now we're looking at this case as the potential of being an extraction case, maybe, or the potential of being an IPR case with heavy amounts of IPR, or the possibility of maybe treating it without IPR altogether and keeping the tooth and just developing the case fully. There certainly are opportunities to derotate these teeth. We have teeth here that are all out of position as far as their rotations are concerned. So we have to look at the ClinCheck as an opportunity to figure out, is there a better way to treat a case like that and can the ClinCheck help me to see one versus the other? So as I develop the first ClinCheck, I'm really developing an extraction case here. We're going to take that tooth out because it seems obvious. It's a bit crowded. 
If I remove the tooth and I develop a quincheck, I can press play and watch all of the teeth derotate. I can watch the space close. I can see an arch form that is reasonable. And it certainly looks to be a reasonable approach because in the end, it's only an 18-aligner time frame. is nine months. So for nine months, that's not bad. And it does look reasonable. None of the movements look uh, gross or, so to speak, difficult. So I'm looking at this, and it seems to be a reasonable view. But we have to look at the entire clincheck, not just the lower arch. With a single tooth missing on the bottom and obviously pressing play, we're going to be in a position where we would take a look at this and now see some IPR in the upper. We're going to have to reduce tooth mass in the upper arch in order to accommodate one missing tooth in the lower. So we have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 times 0 0.3, 2.1 millimeters of IPR across the upper to retract that a little bit. And then the telltale view, whenever we're doing an extraction, is how does that over jet look at the end? Because anytime we're going to take out a lower incisor, we have to pay attention to the over jet. And this amount of IPR does not satisfy the over jet. If we looked at this and saw two millimeters of IPR right now, and that remaining over jet, we would consider this to be unsuccessful. I could take this clincheck from here and move it into a heavier IPR case, and probably in the, to the tune of five or six millimeters of IPR to close that over jet. But does she really need her upper teeth retracted that far? And that answer is no. And obviously, that would not be a service to a, a young and attractive girl to have her anterior top teeth re, with, with retracted that far. So. We start to look at the excess overjet here and think, wow, there's excess overjet and we did two millimeters of IPR on top. If there wasn't IPR on top, the overjet would be a lot more. If you have that much overjet, chances are you may need that tooth. So what looks to be really a tough, tough tooth, all of a sudden that quincheck starts to give favorable information. Lots of overjet with IPR in the opposite arch it's time to develop a second clincheck. And we develop this as an IPR case. This clincheck here is set up as a traditional clincheck that would come back after submitting a case like this if we wanted to do expand and procline an IPR. Invisalign technicians would set up anterior IPR from canine to canine to produce a 29 aligner count for the lower arch. It takes about 14 months to treat this. And you could work your way around all those point twos, which is really not a crime. It's just one way to do it. And this would develop a normal overbite and a reasonable overjet. And we put our canines right where we want them. And we would end up keeping that tooth. And to have that view of these teeth developing this position after doing 1.4 millimeters of IPR. Again, that's only 1.4 millimeters of IPR. Don't get discouraged by seeing seven flags. Seven flags of IPR that are 0.2 each only amounts to 1.4 millimeters of IPR. Okay? So, does the patient need 1.4 millimeters of IPR? Well, that's the big question, right? How much is 1.4 millimeters? Well, it's still pretty little. That's a tiny amount by any standard. This is a 17-year-old female, young and healthy, with average-sized teeth. Young and healthy with average-sized teeth it's unlikely they need any IPR. So why not develop the third clincheck? And the way that's done is by hitting the changes button. Every time you want to, you just hit the changes button and type in. We went from an extraction case to, please show me an IPR case keeping the tooth. Now we're going to write, please show me this case without any IPR. And now we can go ahead and develop that third clincheck to see what will this look like if we do no IPR. So without any IPR, we'll expect to see maybe a little more expansion. And when we develop this case without IPR, it looks like this. All of a sudden, the lower, without the IPR, becomes 27 aligners. So we lose two aligners out of 30. Not quite 10%. But two aligners less to treat the case without IPR and that tooth takes its final position. When we look at the anterior view and we press play, we can watch those teeth level, align, and derotate just as we would have asked for in the specific instructions. 
As those teeth take their final positions, we have a perfect overbite, overjet, canine lock on both sides, and a beautiful midline, and that tooth comes all the way to the position it should be in without any IPR. Now, having developed three views to analyze, so to speak, the position of tooth number 23, it's very clear how the case should be treated. It's not an extraction case. It's not an IPR case. It should be done without extracting or IPR. And the young, healthy individual with average teeth are good credentials to work that case into a final position. And obviously, with the ClinCheck being a helpful diagnostic tool, that was the ClinCheck that was approved to treat that case. And when we finished the upper aligners, the arch form was this, proper arch form, one side to the other. This is the photograph I used in the beginning for proper arch form. This is the photograph I used in the beginning for proper arch form. And here it is at the start. This is where that mouth started. And without any IPR, all of the premolars are derotated and upright versus twisted and leaning in. And to have developed that checklist of things we were talking about, proper arch form, proper arch width, buccolingual inclination, it helps us establish the overbite, the overjet, the occlusion to a beautiful and healthy, stable, and protected canine class one occlusion on both sides. The anterior view, the only missing item is the midline is not perfect. But we have overbite, overjet, and a beautiful canine lock on both sides. So regardless of the midline position, the case is a total success in developing a proper and healthy and stable class one canine protected occlusion. And that tooth takes its position with a perfectly even gum line right across without any IPR. Proper buccolingual inclination. We can look into the sides and see how those teeth are upright and vertical. Every bit of the force that she puts on those teeth will be transmitted through the roots into the bone. Now this now 18-year-old has a perfectly healthy and stable occlusion, both anterior and posterior, and utilizing the ClinCheck in three different fashions could help us to get to a point where we decided this is a better treatment for that patient. Obviously a happy smile, and Invisalign like that allows you to then treat the mom and the sister. By unraveling that mouth and uprighting the posterior teeth, it'll change the support of that lower lip. The lower lip support is lacking. As she is overclosing into that collapsed mouth, it everts or rolls out the lower lip and gives you a steep angle here. When that lower arch is upright and fit into the upper, it occludes at a slightly uh, open position than the previous, and the lower lip falls in and the angle is changed. So you get a full enhancement by the change of the VDO and the increase in the VDO from unraveling and uprighting all of the teeth and establishing a perfect occlusion for the patient translates into a much more aesthetically appealing profile and lower lip view. Carol, we'll talk about the difference with the older population too because young and healthy is one thing, but a little bit older has maybe slightly different credentials. So I want to show you the difference between the two. Obviously, Carol is in her 60s. She has had her share of some recession and changes in the gum and bone. So this is a healthy mouth, but not, so to speak, 100% in the foundation department. So we don't have all the gum and bone she started with when she was 21, and certainly it is a class 1 malocclusion. But by all means, she's a, an Invisalign candidate. So when we take a look in there, we can see her upper arch form is irregular. It is not proper. The lower arch form is not. She has crowding here. But as we have the advancement in the age into her 60s, we may not be looking to treat her the same as Olivia, where we do no IPR. We're very happy to include IPR for Carol because it'll make a huge difference in protecting the gum and bone and not trying to expand and push the teeth into areas where she has deficiencies now based on all the recession. So when we take a look at her treatment form, it would read a little bit differently at the bottom. What we would do for her is we'd like to expand so we certainly will keep some expansion. We won't be proclining. Her front teeth are not really retrusive. I'm not looking to push them forward. I'm not a fan of anterior IPR. So since I'm not a fan of anterior IPR, I usually check off none for that. And I go to the posterior right and left. I like my IPR to be in the posterior. And so expand primarily, proclining none, anterior IPR none, 
IPR posterior right and left primarily. So basically you're looking at some expansion with some posterior or behind the canine IPR. And my note that's submitted to treat this case reads as follows. Please level, align, and derotate all teeth. Posterior I occur in the first five aligners. So let's see how that translates into a ClinCheck. When we open up this ClinCheck, we'll be looking to see that we have leveled, aligned, and derotated all the teeth, and that there is posterior IPR placed behind the canine, and that it occurs early in the treatment. And if I achieve those requests, I might have a very close to ideal ClinCheck. Now you can see where my IPR flags are positioned. We have a 24-aligner count, so we're going to deal with 12 months of treatment. As we press play and we watch the IPR occur, it does occur in the first five aligners, and then the teeth are unraveled, and we have proper arch form at the end of this case. So when we go back to those flags, one, two, three, four, by aligner number four, that IPR is accomplished. So here we have one, two, three, by the third aligner, all of them are touched, and by the fourth aligner, those are all done. Five sections of IPR. We have uh, two, what's that, 2.4, uh, 2.8, 2.3, sorry. How about those math skills, huh? So here we have, uh, instead of 2 point, uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 2.5, 2.3 millimeters of IPR, all accomplished in the first three to four aligners. So what we have there is early IPR, and we have access. The teeth are not overlapped or crowded. And then we end up with a 24-aligner count, 12 months. Now, the upper only takes 17. It's a 17-aligner count to get those teeth in place for the upper. The lower, let's check this out. We press play. Aligner 5, aligner 10, aligner 14. All of a sudden, the lower IPR is done in a little bit later stage. So I'm looking at 12, 13, 14, 15. Well, that's a little later than I asked. The upper was set up perfectly. The lower is a little bit later. So I would rather have that earlier. I have the access. Those areas are just fine to do earlier. I can get my IPR in here and not in the anterior. This IPR from canine to canine would not be pleasant. I couldn't do it early. But I certainly could do this IPR a little bit earlier in these areas. So instantly when I see that, the IPR being done a little later than I prefer, I hit the Changes button, and I type in a note. The upper IPR is done early. I'd like the lower to match it. And what that does is it generates the next ClinCheck. So when I bring up the next ClinCheck, ClinCheck number two for Carol, that second ClinCheck should have a change in the IPR. And I'll read you the note that I wrote because it does show up in the second ClinCheck. How did I get the technician to change the lower IPR? Well, I typed this one here. I wrote down the upper IPR is good. It's set up early in treatment. Please do the same for the lower IPR so it's also done in the first five aligners. Thanks. And then I get this ClinCheck back. So once again, we'll take a quick look. The upper will not have changed. We're going to have the same 17 aligners. The IPR is done early, just like we had before. Okay. The lower. That's where we're looking to see the difference. All of a sudden, it's done by five. And so now we can press one, two, three, four, and five. And by aligner five, that IPR is introduced. We have a 24 aligner count, which really is 21 with the three over correction, so to speak, the virtual C chain at the end. So ultimately, it's a 21 aligner count, a 10 month case. And to take the patient from here to here in 10 months is a very nice treatment. And we'll have tucked all those teeth right where they belong, locked in a beautiful canine protected occlusion. Having done the IPR on the first five aligners, it's out of the way early to allow those teeth to move, keeping my treatment time to a minimum. And that I'll show you in the next case when the IPR is done later so you get an idea of what that means for treatment time. So here we have a very nice setup where I've got my IPR where I want it, in the posterior, early in treatment. And even though it's a significant amount, you know, 2.3 and then also 2.7 millimeters, I'm very happy to perform it in a patient that's a little bit older than an Olivia, so to speak. Okay? Now, what happens when the IPR is done late? I want to demonstrate that for you before we wrap up the session. Roxanne is a patient uh, that I have assisted another dentist on setting up the ClinCheck. And so this is the idea of what happens when it gets set up and then 
I, so to speak, make my recommendations. We'll show you the difference. So Roxanne has an age that's in between the two. She is not 17. She is not 65. She's right in the 38-year-old range. So now we have a significant amount of crowding. Obviously, she'll scale to get you know, the tissue clean and healthy before moving the teeth. But we're looking at this for arch form, arch width, and the buccal lingual inclination, which we can see these teeth are leaning in very far. By now, you should be able to recognize the posterior teeth are leaning towards the tongue. That allows you room for expansion and uprighting to unravel these teeth with less IPR than it looks to need. So you take a look. It is a class one canine malocclusion. So we have a very nice class one canine and molar malocclusion to contend with. It's an excellent Invisalign case. This is going to be a very happy patient. But the request to me was, is this ClinCheck the best it could be for this patient? And so I'm using it here for teaching purposes because the first ClinCheck is coming back from a doctor who um, was trying his best but just didn't know how to set it up properly. And so the first ClinCheck comes back with this. And it's a very common standard procedure to have the IPR right across those teeth. And if you notice, it's 36 aligners. So now we're 18 months of treatment to do this. If we press play, we would expect to see that IPR done late, which of two spots are done early, but the rest is coming late. And here it is. Okay. So now, at the stage where the IPR is really being performed, we're already at the 21st. We go to 20 aligners and only two spots out of seven are performed. And then from 21, we get a third spot. And then we don't see more IPR until obviously 28, 29, and 30. So late IPR for that case, and we end up with 36 aligners to finish the job. So instantly when I look at a case like this, I'm not a big fan of the anterior IPR. So you could imagine, I would like to move this behind the canine. Look at the difference between the amount of crowding between the two canines and the amount of crowding behind the canines. Where's the overlap behind the canines? There is none. Even on this side, I have access to all three of those sites from the first stage. So I don't have to wait until a liner 20 and 28 and 29 to start doing IPR here. I can produce it right in the areas behind the canines early. So the very first change that was made was please move the IPR behind the canines. So now let's count the IPR. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven spots at 0.5. We're going to want to remember that because this is 3.5 millimeters of IPR. We're also going to want to remember 36 aligners. So as we go ahead and check the next ClinCheck, ClinCheck number two is going to show us a setup and the note say, please, have mo please, ha please move the IPR to the posterior segment. Now, the interesting thing here is, as we go ahead and move the IPR, instead of having 3.5 millimeters of IPR, it turns into 3 millimeters of IPR. We lose an entire half millimeter in just making the shift. The case will unravel without the extra half. So the note we wrote to relay that reads like this. Please remove the IPR from the anterior teeth. Place 0.5 millimeters between the cuspid and premolar, between the premolars, and between the premolar and first molar. This will give 1.5 millimeters of IPR on each side, 3 millimeters in all. Here's how we accounted for the last half. Place the remaining 0.5 millimeters in 0.1 millimeter increments between 22 and 23, 23 and 24, 24 and 25, 25 and 26, 26 and 27. That should allow the IPR to begin much earlier in treatment and may shorten the treatment time. So I was giving permission to put this IPR here, and then you could put 0.1 between these teeth. If you put 0.1 in each of these five spots, it adds to 3.5. But the interesting thing is that once the 3 millimeters was put in those spots, I didn't need the 0.1 across the anterior. It just unraveled to here. So now we're in a position where we went from 3.5 millimeters of IPR to 3 millimeters of IPR. And now we're in a position where the count is at 32. We had a 36 aligner count. Well, a 36 aligner count going to 32 is a 4 aligner change, and 3.6 would be 
for it's greater than 10% change, about an 11% change, a reduction in treatment time by four aligners. And four aligners is two months. So two months shorter treatment time from 18 months to 16 months. And we use half a millimeter less of IPR. And we end up with a beautiful midline overbite, overjet, canine protected occlusion on both sides. We have leveled and aligned and derotated all these teeth. And all that's needed is the patient to wear them and everybody goes where they belong. But guess what? We're not done yet. Here we have three millimeters of IPR. What if we want to do a little more expansion? If we're looking into this ClinCheck and we see the inclination of these posterior teeth, her posterior teeth are still leaning in. If the buccolingual inclination is still poor, those teeth can be uprighted. And if they can be uprighted more, it will reduce the count of IPR. So this ClinCheck gets altered by one more time, and the change is, please produce more expansion to reduce the IPR count. And now the ClinCheck becomes this. The third ClinCheck is the actual ClinCheck that will be approved, and the patient is obviously halfway through treatment. But you could see how the, the difference from that first ClinCheck to the third is very significant. Doing an anterior IPR case around crowded teeth late and taking a lot more time to going to this. Now watch this case now. The new note reads like this. Please create three millimeters of upper first molar expansion, a millimeter and a half on each side, and have the premolars follow to maintain perfect arch form. The upper expansion of the posterior teeth should be perpendicular to the occlusal groove so spaces don't open up. The lower first molar expansion should follow the upper. This should reduce the IPR. Now that note's very specific about the expansion so they understand. It'll only take about a millimeter and a half more of premolar and molar expansion to correct the buccolingual inclination. But when we press play, we don't want the expansion to open up spaces. So the expansion occurs in a mesial direction, so to speak, not just out straight across the screen. And so when you look at the expansion, it follows this plane or this direction, which is perpendicular to the occlusal view. If you're expanding this way up into the corners of the screen, then you're not opening space. If you're expanding directly across the screen, you're going to open up space. Since there's no IPR here, you want to expand perpendicular to the occlusal groove. In other words, towards the corners of the screen versus towards the side of the screen. The lower, all of a sudden we have 6 times 0.3, 1.8. We now have 1.8 millimeters of IPR. Originally, this case started at 3.5. We've cut in half the count of IPR. And now the lower aligner count isn't even 32. It used to be. It's now 26. The lower can be treated in 26 aligners. So 26 aligners is 13 months. It used to take 36 aligners 18 months. By altering the IPR position, by increasing the expansion, we went from 36 aligners to 26 aligners in the lower. It's a 10 aligner difference in the count to treat this amount of crowding when you switch the IPR to the posterior teeth and you increase your expansion to correct the buccolingual inclination so that you now have a treatment time that's much shorter. 10 aligners out of 36, that's an amazing difference. That's 10, 20, 30% difference. And all of a sudden, now you have a case that gets treated much better as far as your access for the IPR. You don't have to wrestle with that crowding in the front teeth. You can go right in early and do it in these areas. And the end result is still going to be a beautiful overbite, overjet, canine protected class one, proper buccolingual inclination. Here it comes as those premolars are upright a little bit more in the posterior. And that extra, that extra expansion we did, a millimeter and a half, is just a little bit. But it took a chunk out of that IPR. They used to be all 0.5s down here. So we made a huge change from one ClinCheck to the next, just addressing all of those things I had gone over from the beginning. And I, I know it probably is something that could take a day, really, in, in a full lecture, but I, I hope you've enjoyed this hour. And I don't have any more for you, but if we have any questions, we're, we're certainly happy to answer them. I'm going to bring up your summary so you can see. Obviously, pay close attention to your photos. Get yourself into a nice ClinCheck. Figure out what your preferences for IPR are. Maybe you should try a little bit of posterior IPR and get it done earlier. See what you think of it. 
I started doing that about five and a half years ago, and I have never switched from it. Use the QuinCheck as a diagnostic tool. When you're getting more involved with moderate to severe cases, don't be afraid to develop a second or third QuinCheck showing different treatment options. It can be a very educational process to see what might be the best treatment for my patient. And if you're not sure, absolutely develop two ClinChecks or three ClinChecks to figure out, is there a better way to treat my patient? In the end, everybody wins. I don't do that for every patient. Cases like Olivia, cases like Roxanne, where it could you know, show a, a drastic difference in treatment, I will develop a second or third ClinCheck. And in, in the grand scheme of things, it's a minor issue because in the end, the patient's getting better treatment. Fine-tune your ClinCheck. Don't be afraid to make a change. It's not a final copy. It's a rough draft. You need to reassess your photos, watch that ClinCheck, look for the things we taught you today, and then make a change. Hit the change button and type something in. Let the technician do a little more work, send it back to you. Even today, I'm six years in and over 300 cases, I still go back and forth a couple of times with the, the ClinCheck. I get them close because I'm pretty good with my notes in the treatment form, but they're still a rough draft. I still consider them a rough draft. I like to do a little fine-tuning before I'll approve it. And really, just enjoy the treatment process. You know, all of the patients that you saw treated and the ones that are in treatment now are having a fantastic time unraveling their teeth and their mouths. Uh, Invisalign's been nothing but a pleasure since I started doing it back in, uh, I guess, 2005. And uh, the more patients you treat, uh, the happier you and your staff and your office will become. And uh, it's a very, very good idea to... Make that ClinCheck part of your diagnostics and really study it because it, it does translate into your treatment going a whole lot better. Don't just view it as cookie cutter. You don't just send it in and then approve it and throw it in the mouth. It's not that simple. I want to thank Dr. Morali for a great presentation and for all of you for taking time to join us. And we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert program. Thanks very much. <laughs>